I'm reminded of all of the points, even today, that I have lost confidence in the fact that even when I don't see it or don't feel it, that you are at work. And so we want to turn our hearts and minds toward you today. We want to hear from you. We want to be in your presence because the nearness of God is our good. And so God, for some of us, you're going to be, you're in a little more distant. Sometimes you hide yourself. But Lord, I pray that you would draw near, that our uh, our hearts, wherever our bodies are, that our hearts would be connected further to you today, deeper into you today. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, y'all. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Starting in uh, verse 67, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 67. I'm going to actually read it for us uh, today as we jump into this teaching. Verse 67 of Luke 1 says, And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Verse 76, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Uh, as many of you know, about a month ago, we ended up canceling worship last minute uh, around November 15th because I, I was feeling unwell. Of all things to be feeling right now, I was struggling with my breathing, I was feeling short of breath. And after a COVID test proved that it was not COVID I had to worry about, it actually just turned out to be my allergies flaring up. Uh, this happened, this allergy flare-up, short of breath, happened about two weeks ago. I was struggling to breathe, and this time my breathing was so short that I, I, I found myself struggling to yawn. Steph offered to pray for me while we were sitting at home because we started to get this feeling that what I was experiencing wasn't purely physical, it was also somehow spiritual. And so we spent some time praying together. And during that time of prayer, I had a little bit of an aha moment. We call that a, a kairos moment sometimes. An aha moment where I realized I spent a great deal of the month of November afraid. I spent November feeling something I don't usually feel which was fear. I was afraid of the election. 
I was afraid before it. I was afraid during it. I was afraid after. And to be clear, I, I was not afraid of the results. I was not afraid of what would happen to our country if one candidate or the other one, I was afraid of how the people in my life were engaging with and responding to the political scene of our country leading up to the election, and I was afraid of how they would respond to it after the election. I was afraid of COVID. I was afraid for you. I was afraid for my family. I was afraid for Steph. I was afraid for Jack. I was afraid for me. I was afraid if I got it and died, frankly, what would happen to Jack and Steph? I was afraid of what would happen to Steph or Jack if, if they got it, partially because I have spent, frankly, far too long waiting to experience the pure joy that we experience as an immediate family right now in this season. I've waited too long for some global pandemic to mess it up. I, I, I was afraid of people, to be honest. It, it's a difficult time to lead because everyone is so divided on just about everything. And so I was afraid of the people I was leading. I was afraid of what would happen if we moved online too early. I was afraid of what would happen if we moved online too late. And, and this fear that absorbed me all of the month of November had, had collateral damage. Because while I was bodily present to Steph and to Jack, I was emotionally totally somewhere else. And that is, that is not the kind of dad, that is not the kind of husband that I wanna be. I, I, I was afraid in a way that uh, I don't know if I've ever been in my entire life. And as we prayed, Steph and I, and I realized how deeply I was living in fear, here's what I did. I repented of my fear. I repented of my fear. Repentance feels like a, a dirty word, but repentance is the first step to freedom, and here's why. Repentance is agreeing with God. Repentance is agreeing with God, who alone sees the full reality of any given situation. And repentance is how we step into his reality. And as I confessed my fear, I felt in that moment the nearness of God in a way that I had not in some time. I would not say I'm living in total victory over fear. I, fear I feel like my fear is living like just out of sight of my heart and my soul. It's like in my periphery. Henry Nowen, one of the best authors on the spiritual life, he says that the Christian life is a steady journey from fear to love. That the Christian life is simply a steady journey from fear to love. Nowen says that fear has so invaded every part of our lives that we no longer know what a life without fear would feel like. All of us at various times and for various reasons, we experience fear. And for some of us, not all, but for some of us, this season of pandemic and political and civil unrest has led to more fear. Uh, others in our spiritual family, others of you, are experiencing fear for reasons totally unrelated to political and civil unrest and pandemic. There are other headlines in your life that are leading you to fear. And Nowen goes on to say that the invitation of Jesus is the invitation to move out of the house of fear and into the house of love. To move out of the place of imprisonment and 
into that place of freedom. And the goal of my sermon today is to help you pack your bags and move out of the house of fear. To help you move out of the house of fear and begin a journey toward the house of love. The goal of my sermon is to help you help others make that journey. Because here's the thing, some of us aren't afraid right now. I'm so glad to hear that. I don't want everyone in my life cowering in fear. I'm so glad that you're not afraid. But let me offer you this caution. The people in your life that are, if you're, if you're a person who is unafraid right now, the people around you who are experiencing fear, they need your compassionate presence. They need your withness, not reasoning, not statistics. When, when our brains are in fear mode, they lose the ability to reason. When, when, when our brains are in fear mode, when you try to engage in a rational conversation with someone whose brain is in fear mode, you might as well be speaking a different language to them. That part of their brain isn't wired to respond rationally while they are living in fear. It's just how we are. And if you aren't afraid in this season, and there are people around you who are, this sermon is intended to help you help them hear the invitation of Jesus to move from the house of fear to the house of love. This morning, I want us to take some steps together toward the house of love, and I want us to consider how the coming of Jesus, who makes his home among us, transforms our fear into love, and to do that, we want to look at Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79 together, the passage that I just read. Uh, Let me give you some context for that passage. Uh, The passage we are looking at today is an, it's a prophetic word uttered by a man named Zechariah. Zechariah is not a guy that you hear commonly in the Christmas story, uh, but he plays an important role in the Christmas story. He's better known as John the Baptist's dad. Uh, John the Baptist also plays a significant role in the Christmas story, not one that we talk about a lot. Uh, Before we read of Mary's pregnancy with Jesus in the Gospels, we read about Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist. Before we learn of the surprising circumstances of Jesus' birth, a manger and wise men, who, by the way, fun fact, don't get there until after Jesus has been alive for a while, and shepherds and all of these things, uh, we, before we learn of those surprising circumstances, we learn about the surprising circumstances of John's birth. See, John's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, are, the Bible, it's very gracious, says, advanced in years. Uh, that's uh, theologically what that means is they're like really old like super duper old and um, older than anybody that is watching so I'm not calling anybody any names and um, an angel comes to them and says hey good news you're going to conceive with a child and this by the way is a mirror image of so many instances in the book of Genesis especially Abraham and Sarah and like Abraham and Sarah uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth hear this good news and they receive it with some disbelief and because of that uh, because of his disbelief the angel causes uh, causes Zechariah to go silent to go mute for the rest of Elizabeth's pregnancy and I hope there's not any woman watching who was thinking, well, that would have been nice if for the rest of my pregnancy, my husband was just, but, but he goes mute until the very moment 
that uh, John is born and they name him John. And as soon as he, they say his name's gonna be John, Zechariah's mouth opens up and he declares this prophetic word in, in Luke chapter one. And it begins in verse 68. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people. Didn't just stop by to say, hey, he's visited and redeemed. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old. Zechariah sings that God is visiting his people to redeem them in this coming Jesus. He has raised up a horn of salvation. That is not a, a phrase that we use a lot. Um, in he, the Hebrew imagination, the horn was a sign of strength. So in the, in the glory years, we would have said that LeBron James was a horn of strength for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, it's, it's this idea that Zechariah is saying that God is visiting and redeeming his people with a mighty salvation, with a, with a strong savior. And this strong savior, he says, and this is important, he comes from the line of David. Remember when we preached through the book of Samuel, how we saw this key prof prophetic piece of the Old Testament that someone would sit on the throne of David forever. Well, that promise from all those years ago is coming to fulfillment Zechariah is saying how this long ago promise, uh, this long ago promise of the ancestors, it's happening in their midst. This feels like only much more significant to when Star Wars Episode Seven came out, and I waited and I waited, and a friend and I made plans to go see it together, and then the day that the tickets like were made available, we bought them, and then we made plans of where we would go to dinner together, and then we would go to dinner together, and then like we would be sitting in the seats, right? And the theater lights would go dark, and then you'd have to sit through like 20,000 years of commercials. I don't miss that, right? Let's change that about movie theaters post-COVID. Get me right to the movie, you know what I mean? So then we go, and we go, and then the lights go all the way down, and then what do you see? Like, Ba, 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 you know, and I like it makes right now the hair on the back of my neck is standing up with excitement as I know it is for you too. And, and that moment of like anticipation realized is what, John, what, what, what is happening as John is born. And it's what happening when Zechariah is singing only like times infinity and way more important than Star Wars. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's true. Way more important than Star Wars. Um, and so what, what's happening is in Zechariah, in verse 70, kind of makes this reference to promises long ago. And in verses 71 through 75, we get this like little Old Testament survey. Holden is going uh, back to school. He's getting his uh, bachelor's degree in Bible and ministry leadership from the Moody Bible Institute. Go Archers. And um, I'm realizing now that pre-recording is dangerous because Steph is not here to keep me in line as is everybody else on the team who's in the room. So Holden, Holden's Old Testament survey class is a little longer than these five verses, but here's what he says. He says that John, uh, Zechariah is saying that John's birth signals that God's plan is finally about to go into action. Finally, God's people would be saved by their enemies who hate them, that's verse 71. And to people living under oppressive rule from Rome. This is profoundly good news, but also profoundly political. Um, I'm fond of saying that 
Uh, I was raised not to talk about politics or money or religion in polite company, and Jesus spends most of his time talking about religion, money, and, and politics. And so here's a political note. Finally, the mercy promised to the ancestors would appear as God fulfills his oath, verses 72 and 73. Finally, God's people would be delivered from their enemies. But notice this in verse 74. I love it. It's a so that statement, isn't it? Verse 74, it's a so that. It's that the mercy is promised. He's remembering our covenant. Why? So that we, if you have your own Bible, I'd underline verse 74, being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. So what is John's role in this? What is Zechariah's son's role in this? Zechariah says, and you, child, speaking to John, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Uh, When we fast forward to Luke chapter 3, we find John preaching in the wilderness. He eats locusts and honey. He wears camel hair, and he preaches, the exact quote is, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Do you know what else he says? It's, It's really cotton candy fluffy preaching. He says, flee the wrath that is to come, right? Uh, And and his ministry fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. Uh, John is a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. John is preparing the way for Jesus, who according to Zechariah's coming, Jesus is coming, verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. The poetry, by the way, of this whole section blows my mind because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise, or the day spring, shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus comes because of the tender mercy, because of the compassion of God. Stop. Jesus comes because of God's tender mercy and compassion. Think about that. Jesus says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus is is arriving not because of the wrath or anger of God, but because of his compassion, his tenderness towards us. Jesus is literally compassion and tenderness walking around. Jesus comes as the sunrise in our darkness, as the day spring. Malachi 4 verse 2 says, But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Jesus is the day spring. He is the sun of righteousness who breaks through the darkness and overcomes it. Jesus comes to give light to those in darkness, to those who sit in death's shadow. Without Jesus, we are condemned to walk in darkness. With Jesus, hear me, we still encounter the darkness, don't we? But we walk through the darkness. Psalm 23 says, Even though I walk where through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Jesus comes, he leads us through the darkness, and Zechariah says, he guides our feet into the way of peace. William Barclay says that the way of peace is not merely freedom from trouble. It is that, but it means all that makes for our highest good. The way of peace is where all good things are found. Or as Jesus would say, I have come that they would have life and have it abundantly. This Christmas, we live at the intersection of a global pandemic unprecedented political and civil unrest and for some of us that leads to a lot of fear but for some of us it's not the pandemic it's not the politics that keeps us up at night it's the fear of losing a loved one who is slowly dying in a nursing home by themselves it is the fear of spending christmas alone it is the fear of losing our marriage it is the fear of financial ruin fear threatens to steal your christmas but it doesn't have to. One of my favorite carols, O Little Town of Bethlehem, has a line that I just love. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears of all the years, past, present, and future, until Jesus comes again, meet at the cradle of Jesus in a little town called Bethlehem that first Christmas. This Christmas, our fears are met by hope. A Jesus who comes to us because of the tender compassion of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This Christmas, our fears are met by hope. A Jesus who comes to us in the midst of our darkness while we sit in the valley of the shadow of death and I don't care what your politics does to your interpretation of a pandemic. We are seeing thousands of people die. More people have died because of COVID than the previous five years of flu put together. We are living in this moment in the valley of the shadow of death and Jesus comes to walk with us through it. This Christmas, our fears are met by hope. A Jesus who, in the midst of trouble, guides our feet into all that's good, into the way of peace, into, as I sometimes would like to say, all the good stuff, all the good things, all the things. Henry Nouwen says that the invitation of Jesus is to leave the house of fear for the house of love. And Zechariah's song which celebrates the coming of Jesus. It paves the way. It shows us how to live in the house of love, even as our calendar is the year of fear. It helps us see how to walk out of the house of fear toward the house of love. See, Zechariah sings that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. See, Zechariah tells us that Jesus' coming delivers us from the hands, of, uh, the hands of our enemies. We know that Jesus' life and death and resurrection has conquered all death. We know that Jesus came, I think First John says, to destroy the works of the devil, which means all of our fears that are ultimately rooted in death that is owned by the territory of the enemy has been canceled 
Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. You see, Jesus, in his coming, has laid an axe to the root of the tree, the tree that is rooted in our fear of death, and he has conquered death so that we can serve God without fear, which means, which means this. You know, there, there are these moments where even as we serve Jesus, even as we wrap our lives around his life, we experience fear, don't we? Doesn't make you a bad Christian. Doesn't make you a failure. It makes you human. I realized in November that I was serving both God and I was serving something else. My fear, our fear, is like a forensic little clue on NCIS or Bones or whatever mystery show you like to watch. It is a clue that we are serving God and something else. Our fear provides like a window into what's actually going on inside of us. In November, it turns out I was serving God and control. I was serving God and comfort. I was serving God and ease. When you have fear in your life, it reveals that there is something else going on. It reveals that you are serving God and something else. I mean, are you afraid of not having enough money this Christmas? That is a valid fear but it might also reveal that you're serving God and money. Are you afraid of what will happen to our country once the president-elect takes office in January? That is a valid fear. But might you have located your citizenship in this temporal place instead of your citizenship in heaven where it belongs, Philippians 3? Are you afraid of being alone this Christmas? That, that is a valid fear but might you have placed your hope and comfort in the hands of others instead of the hands of Jesus. To help us move from the house of fear to the house of love, Zechariah sings, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah sings, about his future. He says, day will break. But Zechariah's future is our past. It's like a little time warp situation, back to the future scenario. And, and he sings that we aren't waiting for the sunrise. The sunrise has come. And so hear me, when fear strikes, when fear strikes, look for the light. When fear strikes, look for the light. The, the simple practice of gratitude short circuits the neurology of our brains and it helps us find peace in the calm, which is why we play the gratitude game at our home all the time. The more anxious we are, the more fearful we are, the more angry we are, the more gratitudes we name. And by the way, this is the first step of walking with people through their fear. You need to help them see the light. Help them see what they are grateful for. Statistics don't do that. Snarky memes don't do that. Only gratitude can do this. The journey of the spiritual life, the journey of Jesus, is to make the journey from fear to love. And so Henry Nouwen says, the voice uttering these words, fear not, the voice sounds through all history as the voice of God's messengers, be they angels or saints or of Jesus himself. It is the voice that announces a whole new way of being a way of living in the house of love, the house of the Lord. 
how is it that we take up residence in the Lord's house of love? Jesus makes it possible because he takes the first move. Jesus chooses us as his preferred dwelling. Think about that. Jesus chooses you and me as his preferred place of dwelling. He says, abide in me and I will abide in you. See, we take up residence in the house of love by hearing those words from a little town of Bethlehem, a little carol that it turns out had it right the whole time. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls still receive him, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Let's pray together for a minute. Father, we name our fear and invite you to make yourself known to us in it, that you would help us to see those places uh, where we have chosen to serve someone else other than you. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters today uh, that you would help them see the light, that in a year that feels like bad news stacked on top of bad news, you'd help us see the light. We pray most of all that you, by taking up residence in us, would enable us to take up further and deeper residence in you, Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been really good to be with you. I neglected to mention earlier that with this gathering, as with all of our online gatherings, there's always an opportunity for you to receive prayer in a Zoom room. The link is already in the comments. Hope you'll consider doing that if there's ever a way that we can be praying for you and with you. I love you so much. It pains me to be at a distance. We miss you so much. Grace and peace. You're loved.